Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast. I'm Tara Kerwin. And I'm EJ Kerwin. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. Thank you for checking in weekly and also giving us some amazing feedback on our social media. You know, that's one thing I think want to just thank everybody out there is we've had a lot more lately people reaching out yeah. telling us show ideas and also a lot of people just sort of saying like hey this is what's going on in my relationship you know asking for just a word or two of encouragement and it's just been really cool because it one it tells us like hey somebody's actually out there <laughs> we and, have uh, listeners yeah and and two that you know that that there's some value that you all are getting out of this why and, we do uh, this yeah absolutely so thank you and, and please keep it up please reach out to us please give us ideas uh, tell us what you want to hear about yeah thanks for letting us support you guys absolutely so we have an interview today we are meeting with Shara Turner. She is a LPC, a licensed professional counselor. She's also a member of EGALA, which uh, I believe involves equine therapy. Mm-hmm. She, she'll tell us a lot more about that in a little bit. She's also EMDR trained, which is a trauma resolution mm-hmm. uh, technique. And she is the clinical director of Sabino Recovery, which is an amazing uh, recovery center in Tucson, Arizona that that's just doing some incredible work out there. No, so we're, grateful to have her. Yeah, here today. we're excited to have you today, yeah, Shara. Thank you. Yeah, it's great are, to be here. Yeah, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's Friday, right? It it's is Friday. Friday. <laughs> I know. We love Fridays. This is why we do our podcast on Fridays because there's just like this energy. To I agree. It. Yeah, <laughs> there's like an uplift and a relief uh, at the same yeah, time. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, a good place for us is always just telling us a little bit. You know, obviously we'll hear professionally, but also personally. You know, yeah. just tell us a little bit about yourself, Shara. Well, I mean, I basically grew up in Tucson, so I've been here a long time, went to CDO High School, lived in Oro Valley. But interestingly enough, I was a stay-at-home mom for many, many years, so I didn't get into the field until later in life. But what really brought me into the field was my own experience with trauma. You know, I'm a trauma survivor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once I raised my kids and I thought, I need something, I need a passion, I was just naturally drawn to this field. So I went back to school, got my master's, got my license, kind of moved up really wow. quickly in the field. And I started out by working in public health, mm-hmm. which was beautiful and enlightening and a great experience. But over time, it just, I didn't feel like there was enough of a focus on trauma. There was more of a focus on the medical model and, mm-hmm. and really just stabilization. So I found Sabino Recovery, really they found me, but it's, I feel like it's my home because that focus on integrative, holistic, mm-hmm. individualized care and really looking at what's underneath the individual, not just the symptomology is what I'm passionate about. Yeah. So. We've had a number of podcast episodes now that focus on trauma. And when we kind of look at the, our analytics of episodes is they are most listened to episodes. Wow. Mm-hmm. They're also the episodes that people listen through. Like they listen to the entire thing. They don't just you know? stop at five minutes. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And so there, there's something about this topic about, you know, going through very troubling times mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to deal with it, yeah. that, that people are searching for information all the time. Right, right. And I, I think with the pandemic hitting us all and kind of that feeling of like not having control and almost this, that it brought up a lot of trauma for people that maybe didn't even like look at it before. This is why we see such a pouring out of people really looking for mental health services and especially like wanting to deal with trauma and process through whatever is happening to them right now. Could could you tell us, so just, you know, continue on the personal side just a little bit, what was really that link for you that went from not just like, hey, I'm, you know, personally growing and using, you know, mental health services to help myself, but wanting to cross the gap and be like, I want to, I want to do this. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be involved That's in a good this. Question. Yeah. I mean, 
to be completely frank, um, my first husband had a substance abuse issue. And so that's what really propelled me into this realm, into this field, because I saw him go from treatment center to treatment center to treatment center on the 12-step model and never really got better. Mm-hmm. This isn't a knock against anybody, but it just, that was the reality because he had this underlying you know, narrative of never being good enough yeah. from a father who abandoned him as a kid and no one ever got into that. They just wanted to focus on the 12 steps and yes. the alcohol. And the behavior. And the behavior. Yep. So yep. you know, it just really, him in and of itself is what really propelled me into this field. Yeah. And then once I started to kind of dig in and, and get the knowledge and the experience, I was like, I love this. I love seeing yeah. people actually get better. So it was like you were seeing them not go to like the core issues of what's really happening for that person suffering. And yeah, stuff. it's frustrating. Yeah. It is because it's so you have to address that. I know. And somehow I always find when, like, as a therapist, when you're compelled because of your own life experience, there's just that like level of empathy and understanding, and you can't get it from a book. You can't get it from a theoretical approach. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like things happen to us or me universally because it's like okay you're going to go through this so then you can try to help others but you have to get through it yourself first i think there's also something like when you see something going on that you see like well that it's not happening right like you know it's not working you know there's something about when somebody comes into a field and it's because they think like hey this can be done better mm-hmm. that like propels them to do like really cool stuff yeah. you know and to and to yeah. sort of push the edge and not just sort of be a follower you know and i think that's what grows any field and i know that's certainly like Tara and I, that was a big part of when we started focusing just on couples mm-hmm. was like this idea of like there's something in the way in which we got taught how to do this it doesn't seem like it's working very well or, yeah. or whatever our instincts, you know, if you're, if we're relying just on instincts, isn't working very well. Mm. Well, and I just wanted to go back to what you were saying, Tara, about we have to go through it to really be able to sit in someone's shoes and mm-hmm. offer that kind of empathy. I read a book actually back in my thirties by Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. I'm yeah, sure you've all heard amazing. of it. And that, when he talked about making meaning out of your adversity, that's probably yep. the moment that I, the light went off with me. Yep. I was like, oh my God, I can actually help people yeah. because of what I went through. And then that just kind of carried me into the field altogether. So I just have goosebumps because yeah. I remember that moment too when I was at Reed Park crying, pushing these twins. And I called EJ. I'm like, he said, she said, we have to open up a couples counseling okay, center. I got chills now. And EJ's like, I don't like working with couples. <laughs> They're too hard. I said, listen to me. But no, I remember that moment. Yeah. It was so clear. And it took a couple of years for it to manifest. Right. But here we are like seven years later. So yeah. it's amazing. Goosebumps. Yeah. Well, and then also like once you identify what you're passionate about, what you care about, doing it over and over and over again, I think also is like specialization is like, absolutely you know, mm-hmm. so important. I think that's a great segue maybe yeah. into first talking about about Sabino Recovery. I mean, yeah. that's how we met you. You guys uh, came down to our facility and talked to all of our therapists. Right. I mean, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, about Sabino Recovery? Yeah. So We're a trauma program. I mean, we are duly licensed for mental health and substance abuse, but everything we do is through a trauma lens. Mm. It's never, you know, what's wrong with you. It's always about what happened to you. Mm. What happened to you that dysregulated your nervous system to such a place that you continue to engage in unhealthy patterns of behavior to regulate? You know, people don't understand that regulation of the nervous system is a survival mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. We're always going, why does someone drink so much? Why do they do that? Instead of understanding, it's adaptive. 
It's survival, addiction survival. But we have to get in there from a concept of neuroplasticity and start changing the way that brain is wired. And that's really what our program is built on, you know, the concepts of neuroplasticity, Mm -hmm. the holistic view of the person and not just the behavior, not just the diagnosis. So that's what we do. Addiction is survival. I just have to repeat that because that is beautiful, but also like it can feel overwhelming too. But I just love that. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Do you think that that's a big shift? Because I like... I remember even like, cause Tara and I both came out of working in treatment centers as well. Like that the model was always go to treatment for the behavior that is problematic. Yeah. And it sounds like Sabino recovery has a, is shifting it a little bit to come for the reason, you know, trauma. And, yeah. and I imagine you get a wide umbrella of people's yeah. maladaptive, like, you know, behaviors. Right, right, right. And yeah, when we talk, when I talk about addiction, I'm definitely not just talking about drugs and alcohol, right? Yeah. I mean, gambling, sex, shopping. I mean, right mm-hmm. now, internet, phones, that's one of the biggest addictions we have. What a distraction from the world around us, you know? Yeah. And I think about these kids that have been kind of sequestered in their homes through the pandemic, mm-hmm. how much they relied on that phone for social interaction, you know? So it's, Going a little bit back to the pandemic, we're kind of living in a culture of scarcity and fear, and everyone's kind of chronically dysregulated. So I think that's why addiction is on the rise, again, as an adaptive measure for survival and for homeostasis in the body. So So who comes to Sabino Recovery? I mean, I think that's an important thing for people to understand. And, and, you know, so it's a, it's a program based upon treating trauma, Mm -hmm. but who's, who's the person who calls you guys up? Oh boy, it's a wide, wide variety. I mean, we have anything from, you know, the 18-year-old child who's been smoking marijuana since they were 13 Mm because never really learned how to connect or adapt to their environment outside of that, been playing video games their whole life, you know, that kind of presentation, but was bullied in school. You may have the perfect childhood, but was bullied in school and doesn't understand that's traumatic. To the 65-year-old attorney who's been working his whole life, you know, maybe drinking on the side, doing a little yeah. cocaine here and there, didn't think it was a problem yeah. until they started to get older and couldn't yeah. work as much, right? So again, that's the wide spectrum. We get a lot of sexual developmental trauma. Um, yeah. Young women that have been trafficked happens, unfortunately, more than I, I wish it did. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of people that come in with secondary eating disorders. And once they start processing that trauma, that eating disorder rises up again because that's their protection. So really, I mean, just all over. It's the place. all over the place. Yeah, it really is. One thing I'm hearing because I think when, like, when I'm working here on an outpatient level, and I say the word trauma, I think some people like think, oh no, like there hasn't been any traumatic moments because they think of trauma as like this big moment happening mm-hmm. that was very destabilizing. And I really try to educate them on you know what trauma is, and that trauma is again under a big umbrella. How do you? How do you define trauma? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always tell this story because it's so poignant to me. I had a a gentleman come in and he was about 40 years old and a really successful accountant in in New York and came and sat at my desk and said, you know, Shara, I had a perfect childhood. I've had no trauma. I just drink too much. So fix me, basically. And I said, okay, fair enough. I said, well, let's talk about your child. And he said, well, the one thing I do remember in the fifth grade, I was moved from private school to public school. I was kind of small and scrawny and I was horribly bullied. We're going back to the bully, yep. but I have no trauma. I define trauma by anything that affects that person on such a visceral level and creates a narrative of deficiency that they carry with them throughout life. And they will find any means necessary to medicate that dysregulation and that narrative of deficiency. That's how I define trauma. And it's 
relative for every person. You know, what's traumatic to one person may not be for the other. But then again, you're going to go into a whole realm of resiliency. It also depends on their resiliency, how many supports they have in their life. You know, what's their environmental state like, you know, the people around them, what kind of support. So there's a lot of factors, but trauma is definitely not one definition. And I think that it sounds like that everyone's kind of in an environment together and they can kind of see this like array of like different experiences and like maybe have this experience that like, wow, yeah, there's just, it's like on a whole different level, like that there's so many different pieces to it. Is there like a limit of people that can be at Sabino Treatment Center? Is there like a... So we have, yeah, we're a 30-bed unit. 30-bed unit. And we will never go bigger than 30. That's, That's amazing. Yeah, because you can't continue to instill that individualized treatment when you go higher than that, yeah. you know, and it's really challenging. And I don't believe that it's one size fits all, you know, you have to treat the person where they're at. And um, so we throw a lot of things at them and kind of see what yeah. works. And then as part of their their treatment, we formulate a plan for them when they leave, because that continuing care is so important. I mean, people think they're going to go into therapy or treatment or residential or outpatient, either one, and put in all this work for two to three months, and then everything's going to yeah. be fine. Yeah. You have to keep doing that work for a significant amount of time for that neuroplasticity to really right. start working. Yeah. That, that, so that's an important question, I think, is like, how do you conceptualize recovery from trauma, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, it's one of the things around, you know, maybe drinking or eating disorder, you can have like a very like sort of quantifiable way. Well, if I'm not drinking, I'm doing well, or if I'm, you know, maintaining a healthy weight. But when it comes to like, how do you look at like, what is the pathway of recovery yeah. from trauma, right? Because it's not like you know, the door just closes and it's done, right? Yeah. Boy, that's that's a, I think it's different for everyone, but I will say, and and, and I'm going to go off on like just EMDR specifically yeah. for mm-hmm. a minute. When you do EMDR with with a person, it's not that the memory goes away. It just feels less daunting. It doesn't feel as heavy, right? because you're reprocessing it from that that lower brainstem into the frontal lobe so that you can rationalize it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't have the same effect on the nervous system. So that's one modality. Yeah. SE work, which is also amazingly efficient for trauma, is really getting a person to understand and get more in touch with their bodily sensations because our physiology never lies to us. Mm-hmm. Our frontal lobe, this brain lies to us all the time, right? That voice. But the physiology never lies. And so you know, children, especially with developmental sexual trauma, are so disconnected from their body because their body had a reaction, you know, to the attention, and yet they knew it was bad, right? So they're living in this dichotomy. So they just had Mm -hmm. completely, as a survival mechanism, have disconnected from their body. They Mm -hmm. don't trust their body anymore. But that's where we get our reactions from. That's where our instincts come from. So I, I don't know that I'm answering the question exactly, EJ, but it's a big answer and it's a process yeah. over a specific period yeah. of time. But it's about getting in touch with your body, learning how to regulate your own nervous system. You know, again, from a personal note, I've had anxiety my whole life mm-hmm. because I'm a trauma survivor. I had trauma as a child. I've learned how to deal with my anxiety. Yeah. My anxiety is not gone. It will never go away. But I've learned how to deal with it and channel it in healthy ways. Yeah. I mean, so let me just recapsulate and see if, you, if I heard this correctly. It's that an individual becomes much more aware of the way in which they're being maybe unconsciously activated by this trauma. And then they're on a pathway of being aware and then maybe diminishing its impact and maybe having ways in which they actually cope with it in a healthy way. 
I could never have said it that good. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> really good. Really I, I good. R- ran yes. it through my robot brain. Yeah, that was very good. Thank you. I was going to say really quickly, I just relate a lot because trauma survivor here too. And I remember that anxiety, I used to feel like it controlled me and it was horrible. And I mean, I would just isolate myself and I would, I was specializing in anxiety in my private practice. I'm like, this isn't anxiety. Um, And then once I did all of the trauma work, it's like, I have total control now. Like it feels so good and the anxiety is still there, but I can, it doesn't hijack me. I hijack it. And I said, no, hold on. <laughs> it doesn't hijack me. I hijack it. That's beautiful. Again, that, beautiful. That's new. I just, yeah, that just came good. up out of, I'm so good. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so another important question, because if, if one of the premises is, is, is it like that gentleman you were talking about? He didn't even realize the, how it was affecting him. Right. What are the things you can tell somebody out there like, hey, watch out for these things. These are the things that might tell you that you are being affected by, a, by, by some trauma within your life. Right. Well, I think one of the biggest ones is the anxiety piece. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're living in this chronic sympathetic nervous system state, which many people don't realize, but it's that hypervigilance. Yeah. You're always on guard. When you hear a loud noise, if you jump, you know, yeah. that's a sign of a dysregulated nervous system. If you're using substances of any kind, or you feel like you're over shopping. I mean, there's something in your life that you're doing in a maladaptive way. It's very likely it's connected to some kind of trauma that you don't, that you don't want to look at. It's a distraction not to deal with that trauma, you know, and if you're just not feeling whole, you know, I think people that are trauma survivors, there's a void inside of Mm -hmm. them because they've been running and surviving their whole life. And so feeling that the kind of white knuckling going through life, that's a, that's a true sign that there's probably some work to be done. Okay. So, so, you know, we always speak with our interviewees before we come on. And one thing you mentioned that, that you, you just mentioned it and we didn't dig into it at all was the three stage trauma model. And I thought that like, you know, again, the more we can educate people and give them, you know, sort of a, a, a way in which to look at this, the more they become empowered in maybe doing something. Right. So can you tell us about the three-stage yeah. trauma model? So that's another, you know, our program's kind of based on the three-stage trauma model, and that is safety, processing, and reintegration. There's nothing more important than a person that comes in to do work mm-hmm. that they feel safe and they don't feel judged. Mm-hmm. Because with trauma, there's so much shame, there's so much judgment on the self that if you walk into an office and you feel that judgment coming from the person in front mm-hmm. of you, there's no work that's going to happen. Yeah. So safety is so important. Once you've established that safety with the person you're working with, then you go into the processing. And that can happen in such a wide variety of ways. You know, again, EMDR, somatic experiencing, accelerated resolution therapy that was relatively new. ACT. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. And in fact, I just went to a training last week for NARM, Neuroaffective Relational mm-hmm. Model. Beautiful model in treating trauma and developmental trauma specifically. So there's a lot of different ways. And again, one size doesn't fit all. It's what it what resonates with the person. Um, but that's that processing phase. And then you go into reintegration. And that's really important because you're bringing now the family and the loved ones into the process. Yeah. At Sabino, that's how we, we formulate their whole stay. Let's say they're there for 35 days. We start with safety, processing. And then in the fourth week of treatment, we bring the family in. Doesn't always have to be blood family. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, a, a loved one, a cousin, a f- best friend, whoever their support system right. is. We bring them into that process so that they can start speaking that language and understanding what that person's been through. Because there's nothing harder than to leave the bubble of residential mm. and go out into the world and feel alone after right. you've gotten all the support, you've opened up and been vulnerable, and to go out and have nobody get you or understand you. So it's 
the the reintegration piece of that trauma model is vitally important to recovery. I love that that's so important there because the aftercare piece, like it could even be more detrimental if you don't have it, like you have that safety for however many days and then you don't have that support system when you get out or there haven't been plans made. And so I, yeah, I know it takes, it takes work after that initial phase. Right. And I, and I think about too, from a a place where you guys work, couples counseling Mm -hmm. most mainly, I mean, imagine, you know, you've got one of the spouses is dealing with trauma and the other doesn't understand it. If the other person doesn't come into that process, they're still not going to understand it. Yeah. So it's really important to enlist some empathy and compassion by educating the mm-hmm. other spouse on what they're dealing with. Yeah, that's interesting because we have a couple EMDR therapists here at our center, but it's so there's something so connecting when we start to process trauma. We do the whole uh, genogram and timeline process with mm-hmm. our couples, and when they can be in it together and kind of. And they'll be like, oh, should we do this individually? And I say, absolutely not. Like this is yeah. this is where you build compassion and understanding because you guys have never been able to talk about it in this safe place. You've just been reacting to what you don't know that's underneath there. Yeah. You know, I had a couple yesterday, like he gets super defensive because she's got a ton of anxiety, consistent, hyper-exaggerated hypervigilance for probably over 10 years. Yeah. And it's not about him because they've only been together for five. And I'm just trying to help him understand, like, look, when she says, you can't control me, I'm the adult here, that's a sign that she's in dysregulation and you have to hold that space for her. And he's like, but I just feel like I'm being blamed and I'm this monster. And I'm like, no, I know. I know. But she's going to be working on her own individual self, but this is how you... And, you know, I'll probably be (laughs) talking about that for weekly sessions with them for a while because it takes a lot of awareness to try to be open to your partner who is really suffering and not take it personally that when you get there, that's when couples don't have to be here anymore. Well, that's, (laughs) I mean, that's the importance and also like the total like complexity of of a family or a couple is the fact that like, yes, you might have like the, there generally is sort of like the primary person who's been identified as like their suffering has much more of an impact on a relationship than the other person. right? Right. But, but that doesn't mean like you said that like almost everybody has some level of, you know, little T, middle T, big T trauma. And then when your partner is activated, you become activated because we tend to focus in front of our our nose instead of behind our nose. (laughs) We, we sit and we're like, well, just, okay, just get her, get him or her, you know, fixed and then I'll be fine. But really that person is getting triggered and doesn't have the ability to do what you're talking about, which is like, oh, okay, I got to like really hold this, this safe space for this individual because they're acting in their, you know, autonomic, unhealthy way to a stressful situation. And it's complex. It's so hard to help families and couples change. Yeah. I mean, how is that for you guys when you have this individual oh, who's yeah. done this work right. individually because uh-huh. they've gotten to pull out of their system and then you put them back into it? You know what? What's that like to watch? We've had interesting outcomes <laughs> with that, certainly. I love if you could see the face yeah, language. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I will say most of the time they're really positive outcomes. When someone's really invested in their way of being, specifically if there's some remnants of personality disorder going on, mm. that makes it a little more difficult yeah. to get in there and, and and get some accountability and awareness going on. And there hasn't been one family program that I've been through at Sabino, and that's almost three years, that I haven't seen some type of shift 
in that yeah. family system. You can't help but not because we kind of inundate them with information they've never heard yeah. before, you know. And then they do this, you know, kind of communication exercise, you know, when you, I feel, yeah. you know, it's mm-hmm. that whole owning your feeling kind of thing. And it's extremely powerful if no one's ever talked to each other that way. Yeah. If it's always like, you did this yeah. and you made me feel that way, you yeah. know, the blaming. The minute you step back and own your stuff, the walls go down and you actually start hearing each other. And so just that moment of actually hearing somebody, yeah. you see the light go off. And again, the work has to continue. Yeah, The work has to continue because one of the things that we've noticed here is, and I always will say like in the first session, you guys... When you don't want to come back to couples counseling because you feel like this is it, that is the sign of shift. Like you've been in this homeostasis, even though it's dysfunctional Mm -hmm. for so long. And when one person changes, it changes the system and people don't want change. Even if it feels bad, they don't want it. And so when couples are like, this isn't working, we're not coming back, that is a sign that it's about to shift. Hold on, white knuckle it for a couple weeks. Because if one person shifts the entire system has to change. And so, and and a lot of people, if you're not educating them, they won't know what's really happening at an unconscious level mm-hmm. and they'll try to enable it to go back to the way it was. And so the more education you're doing for families, partners, whatever, around this kind of unconscious shift from a, to a different homeostasis that's healthier yeah. and feels better is huge. And that's where the continuing work goes because mm-hmm. it's not like just a light switch that happens. Mm-hmm. That's so great. I heard this quote once that people will choose a known pain over an unknown pleasure wow! because it's what we know. I mean, change feels so scary. And that little ego mind of ours that, you know, we have a hard time controlling Mm -hmm. is like, no, you need to be this way. This is your survival, right? But we don't have control over that subconscious thought as much as we wish we did. And it just, it is, it's challenging, but just holding space for that challenge, right? Is, is what we do. It's beautiful. I mean, I think one of the amazing things that you, that you offer at CBNO Recovery is, is you sort of alluded to it a little bit ago is the fact that you have a broad range of ways in which you can help an individual because what might work for one individual mm-hmm. might not work for another. And when you're in outpatient, you kind of pick a therapist and we generally have, you know, something we do well, you know, or, or maybe two things and you can offer you know, seven, eight, and see what really sticks. And so, I mean, it might also be really helpful for our audience to hear it. Can you tell us about like a few of the of the therapies that you offer there and, and give us a little bit of like understanding of what they are too? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So somatic work. Somatic work is really just um, getting in touch with your body, what's happening in your body, what those sensations are, because trauma gets stored in the body, mm-hmm. right? And then we have a visceral reaction to stimuli in the environment, and we react without even understanding why we're reacting to something small. You know, it's the cat that looks like the tiger. Um, <laughs> and so that's really somatic work. EMDR is, you know, through bilateral stimulation, getting into that lower brain stem, reprocessing that memory, instilling new narratives around that memory yeah. or new cognitions. It shows a lot of efficacy. ART, accelerated resolution therapy, is kind of an offshoot, I want to say, of EMDR. It's got a different protocol to it, and it doesn't require the person to tell the story. It actually changes the picture of the story without them having to tell it. So it's really effective for people that have a hard time relaying those kind of deep, dark, you know. Mm -hmm. And again, I go back to sexual trauma because sexual trauma is so shameful. And then... Equine. Equine, we do yes. equine therapy. We were going to talk about that a little bit. So equine therapy is a beautiful, mm. mindful practice that incorporates some narrative therapy into it. Because what happens is residents will go in the arena and kind of observe the horses. And then you ask them what they see. And the stories they start to tell about the horses are really stories they're telling yeah. about themselves. 
And then how they show up in that arena energetically, the horses instinctively, because they operate from their limbic system, not their frontal lobe, will mirror back whatever you're oh. bringing that to arena. And so in a non-judgmental way. And so they're able to see like, oh my goodness, this is how I'm showing up. Yeah. So it's really like, to me, that's one of the most beautiful ways, especially when people don't want to put words to their trauma, they can have these conversations, these kind of subliminal conversations with horses. It's really, it's, it's just, you have to see it yeah. to really understand yeah. how powerful that is. And the one thing we do as well that shows, again, a lot of efficacy for developmental trauma is uh, brain mapping and neurofeedback. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I, I love because you're able to pinpoint in the brain where some of the deficiencies are. Like someone with anxiety, there's the alpha waves are, are low or the beta mm -hmm. waves are high. And then we have specific protocol through neurofeedback that helps us exercise the brain. So it's very empowering yeah. in that realm. But that's some of the highlights of what yeah. we do. Well, I mean, and, and if any of those really jumped out to a listener, I, I'd love to make sure we we have in our show notes. And so check it out a link to each one of those therapies that Shara mm. just spoke about. We'll make sure that there's a link to like kind of a primary source for you all yeah. to take a deeper dive into them. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's super, that's super useful. I'm blown away. I wish I could just go to Sabino Canyon for 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, thank you, Tara. Oh. You are like queen of segue. There, there we go. <laughs> I didn't even know. Okay. So residential treatment, right? Like now that's, queen let's, of segue. let's talk just about that yeah. for a second, because I think that can, yeah. to Tara, that sounds like heaven, like, like <laughs> getting, a, you know, but for some, and I know I certainly had this experience with clients where you bring that up and they're like, no way, you know? know? So what are the sort of like obstacles that, that people face and, and then what are the benefits? Well, and you're right, there's a stigma to going to residential mm -hmm. treatment. Like I must really be broken okay. if I have to go into in, inpatient treatment or something of the, of the like. I think, and I don't even want to put a number on it, but there is a, a lot of people in this world that could benefit from doing some type of residential yeah. setting. Because the benefit of going into residential setting is that you're able to immerse yourself into recovery. It's like immersion. Like if you're going to go to a new country and learn, learn a language, right? It's better just to go there and yeah. be immersed into that culture. It's the same kind of thought process and idea because our habits and behaviors are so powerful because we've been doing them for a really mm -hmm. long time. To make that kind of sustainable change on an outpatient basis is challenging and takes more time. Right. Because what happens, you go into the therapy office and you have this great session, but then you go out in the world and mm -hmm. you've got all your triggers around you, yep. right? Someone cuts you off in traffic, you get pissed off. Yep. You know, husband leaves the toilet seat up, you get pissed off. You know, yeah. like there's triggers everywhere. When you're in residential, you're in this bubble we take away distractions. We take away a lot of, not all, but some triggers. Mm -hmm. So you're able to really focus in on that trauma. You know, EMDR specifically, again, can be really activating. Mm -hmm. And it's much better for me to activate someone in an inpatient yeah. level so that they have that support than to do an EMDR session in an office and send them out on the street. Yeah. You know, it just, the changes are so much more sustainable um, because again, it's the immersion piece of it into that neuroplasticity. You get that started on a much quicker basis. So it's like when I, when I'm working, I used to work with children on a lot of like sexual trauma and, and they, the parents would like drop them off at my office. This is when I was in California, like, here's my child. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. You're coming in here too. I'm not about to do some play therapy with this four-year-old yeah. who's experienced sexual abuse and he's going to go home and you guys aren't going to know how to support him and create that safe environment. I said, this is really important and it's all of us here together making those efforts to create safety because if you go home after an intensive therapy and you don't have that safety, it could make it worse. 
the person could suffer more. It makes it worse. And then you jump right back into maladaptive coping of mechanisms course, for the survival. I yeah. don't, I can't handle this. This is too overwhelming. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, to me, that safety of residential, like gives an individual space to be who they need to be, where they need to be without all of that extra crap we have to deal with in real life. Well, and EJ, I think to your point, like a lot of people have this idea of residential treatment that people are coming in there because they got their third DUI or they got arrested for drugs or or they haven't been able to get out of bed for two months or something. It's that dire that they go into residential. And actually it's it's the opposite. We get a lot of people that come in that are kind of just white knuckling their life and have realized... I can't do this anymore. I want yeah. to change. So yeah, go in and get support before you yeah. crack. Before, right before before you before do you go to that bottom. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So how does one start exploring it? Like because I you know I've I've found a lot in mental health from all levels from outpatient all the way to residential is people just don't understand the whole process of it. They don't yeah. get it. So I mean, what? How does someone begin to explore this? Like you know, how do they even enter into the stream of thinking? Hey, is this an option for me? Right. I think it probably starts with their outpatient provider, you know, whether it's the doctor or their therapist, you know, making those recommendations like, hey, you know, I don't see you getting a lot better through this process. Maybe you need something a little more intensive. Usually that's where it's driven or a family member can say, hey, you know, I kind of see things reverting back to the way they were or going downhill a little bit. Maybe we need to explore some other options usually not driven by the individual, unfortunately, because they don't see it for themselves. So it's driven by an outside source. And then there's so many resources. I mean, you can just Google, you know, residential treatment, you're going to get a slew of of residential treatment centers. It's hard to discern which one to go to. It really depends on what the presenting issue is. There's a lot of organizations in the country, we call them ed consultants, that that's their very job. They're treatment placement specialists. Mm -hmm. So they help people find the right treatment center for them. For them. So you could yeah. just look up, you know, treatment specialist or treatment placement specialist or something online and that would give you all the resources you need. I, mean, I think we we have a decent amount of clinicians who who listen to our show too. And so I mean one thing that I think is important is that we have a bunch of these different things to offer our clients yes. because we will eventually be in front of a client who has a need that, you know, fits Sabina recovery. And yeah. so and if you don't know it, you don't know it. So I mean, one thing that we really loved about you guys was, you know, we're local, so we're lucky enough that you guys could yeah. come down and sit in front of us and we could talk. But I'm sure if you're a, if you're a clinician, right, anywhere in Idaho, South Dakota, yeah. they, they can give Sabino Recovery a call and you guys would be happy to tell them all about it. Absolutely. So not only can they give us a call and we can talk about Sabino, yeah. but anyone that calls in looking for treatment. And let's say it's not financially feasible or it's not the right fit for whatever reason, we will always refer out. Mm-hmm. So we never just say, sorry, we're not the right, right. fit. I mean, that's part of what we do is that. giving resources to yeah. somebody whoever calls in. So yeah, of course, that's an always an option. Yeah. I'll tell you that, that goes a long way. That is something that Tara has been amazing with, with our facility over the years <laughs> is that we've like, she at first, when it was just the two of us, would spend a half hour, you know, <laughs> forty five minutes on the phone with somebody. We weren't the right place for him, but given them some I- some ideas Always, of where yeah. to go. And now our front of house people now do the same thing. And man, people are one; they're so, so incredibly appreciative. They're but they amazed all, by it. But it gives them some place to go because yeah. so many times people Google a name. And they run into a wall. Somebody's just like, no, I'm not taking clients. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, It okay. makes them want to give up on the process too. That's why I'm like, listen, here's this person that accepts this insurance. This might be, I mean, I'm just like, don't ever let anyone 
whether it's their emailing or calling, like leave without some kind of direction because they're already feeling like hopeless. Yeah. And right now there's just such a wait list for services and, oh. And and so, I mean, a word to people out there that are listening that, that are struggling to find a couple's counselor or, or an individual counselor to handle some trauma from their past is that like, don't give up, like make a couple phone calls, yeah, like, you know, yeah. go outside of your market because you might, you know, you could call somebody like Sabina Recovery and they might say like, hey, well, I actually know two or three therapists because you guys keep databases yeah, we do. Of, of local markets and say like, hey, like call this person, this person and this person. Right. So, you know, go beyond that initial sort of like wall you hit yeah. because eventually you hit somebody. There's a lot of people in this field who actually really care and want to help you, even if it's not them that's going to help right. you. Agreed completely. And we've got a whole slew of outreach people that are out there, you know, vetting resources. Yeah. So when someone does call in and they don't even live here, let's say they live in another state, yes. we've got someone specifically in that state yes. that knows what resources we have and yeah. can refer out. So yeah, again, agreed. Like you got to make a couple phone calls. Don't just take no yes. for an answer. <laughs> so um, just to sort of wrap up a little bit on the, on the side of Sabina Recovery, somebody once is listening to this and are like, wow, I'd like to learn more about this place. Like, what, what do you tell them? How do they, how do they find you? Yeah. I would just, just call it up and, and we'll get you to the admissions department. They'll have a conversation with you. I know all of them personally, they're wonderful people. Hmm. They just really want to help. Um, and again, if it's the right fit, we'll see if we can figure out a way to get you in the door. If yeah. not, we'll refer you out and make sure you get this resources you need. Great. Wow. Just sounds like Sabino just does such great work, very holistic. Yeah. And then just Aftercare is very important and that you guys really do a great job in integrating them back into the environment yes. after they've done some really deep work. So yeah, that's, that's huge. huge. And part. it's an incredibly beautiful place. We're actually coming to visit you guys on, on Monday, but Ooh, I know Sabino, oh, Sabino Canyon for people who don't live here is just an absolutely gorgeous area of Tucson. Yeah. yeah. Tucson is an interesting place in that way too, as far as like how many healing institutions, so, yeah. how many people have wound their way yeah. through Tucson in, in their path of sort of getting back on their feet. Yeah. I always Agreed. joke. I call There's it something a, about healing here. Yeah. It's, I remember when I first visited here and I was like, I have to be here. Tucson yeah. is the uh, second chance capital of the world. That's a <laughs> joke. That. Did you make that up? I don't know if I made it up. I'll take credit for it. It's not copyrighted. But you know, second chance. Okay, we'll, we'll talk later. I don't know what that means. <laughs> All right, well, Shara, amazing to have you here mm. and meet you and just see all of the beautiful work you do as clinical director of Sabino and just how much you care and also the equine part. I just like want to go and find an individual therapist that does equine right now. Well, it must be fun to be the clinical director of that place. I love it. I, I love you can tell. love my job. I'm very oh. passionate about what we do and my. The most important thing to me and what I lose sleep over is not staying in our integrity. So, yeah. you know, there was, I talked to you guys a little bit before we started this about, you know, I was looking for a family therapist and we didn't have anybody. And so I capped us at 23 people. I was not going to take any more people wow. until we had enough staff yeah. to serve those people. And I don't think there's a lot of residential facilities or CEOs that would respect the clinical director enough to say, you know what, you're right. We promise you're going to get when you walk through that door. And that I, I take yeah. that very, very personally and very seriously what we do. Yep. But hey, when you come out anytime, you guys want to do a little team builder or something, come out. We'll do an equine session. I, I would do that oh, in a heartbeat. Yes. That'd be yeah. awesome. But I'm hearing quality over quantity. Quality over quantity. Yeah, I like that. That Thank is you. at my heart too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think this it would be really fun to have you back again. So, yeah, so I love we'll, it. we'll definitely ask yeah. you to come back because it's been a great conversation. I, I think know. A lot of good information for people. Again, we'll do our yeah. best to give you really thorough show notes. 
with yeah. links to, to a lot of the things we spoke about. You know, thank you, Charlotte. Thank it's you been very a, much. Been a pleasure. Yeah, thank Both you for you. being here. Yeah. All right. So uh, as always, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. It's kind of what we've got right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Have a good day. Bye. Bye-bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame we need. Indeed, you and me are we. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.